I am excited about uh, what we have coming up, not only today, but, but certainly just with the medical missions trip that we have planned uh, later this year. I'm excited about that. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about our men's breakfast that Corey announced as well. So for all, the, all you of, of the male gender out there, I, I, hope, you, I hope you plan, uh, set that time aside. We're going to have Lee Ridings. Uh, pastor of Greater Hope Baptist Church uh, down in the Dallas, Georgia, Atlanta area. He's going to be with us that entire weekend, and, and so he's going to be sharing his testimony uh, with us on, on that morning while we're eating breakfast. And so, so I, I want you guys to plan on being there. I want you, all the men, to plan on being there February 4th. So, so mark that aside. I'm excited about that. But if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're nearing the end of the current series that we're in uh, fam, that I've titled Family Portraits. We started that in mid-October. Next Sunday will be our, our 10th and final message in that series. I, I hope it's been helpful. I pray that God's taught you something along the way. And I told you last week we're going to be starting, when we finish Family Portraits next week after that, we'll be starting a new series out of the book of Acts. So we'll be going verse by verse through the book, book of Acts and talking about uh, having a passion for the mission. So I'm excited about that. But, but today we do have another family portrait to examine. And, and this one, this family portrait is going to show us the path to a God-glorifying family. That's the title for today's message. And the person of the family in our text this morning that shows us this path is, is the wife and soon-to-be mother, a woman by the name of Hannah. Many of you are familiar with Hannah. You know her story. She's the mother of the last judge of Israel, a guy by the name of Samuel. That's who the book that we're in. That's who the book is obviously named after. And Samuel was a great man of God. And as we'll learn today, it was in great part due to the faith of, of his mother. And the path that, that she took in this first chapter. Now, I want to give you a, just a little bit of context. We were actually in 1 Samuel last week, and, and I told you a little bit. But I want, to, I want to set the context for you a little bit uh, more detailed. Because as the book of 1 Samuel opens, where we're at here in, cha- in chapter 1, it's the time period of the judges in Israel. And so like I've already noted, Samuel is the last judge before the nation of Israel enters their time of king. So the time the patriarchs had passed, we, we looked at that at, at 9 a.m. as Jeff's taken us through. We finished up the book of Genesis and saw those four major patriarchs there in the book of Genesis. So that time has passed. The time of the kings with Saul and David and Solomon, that is yet to come. It hasn't started yet. So it's the period in the middle between the patriarchs, between the kings, where Israel was led by judges. So you might have heard of people such as Barak and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. Those were some of the judges of Israel. And and this time in Israel's history, this time of the judges, was not a good one. It's a time of turmoil. It was a time of confusion, a time of spiritual degeneracy. It's a time of a corrupted priesthood. It's a time where there was moral desecration in the temple. It was a sad and a a tragic hour in Israel's history. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25 put it this way, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That was the time that we're in as we enter into 1 Samuel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And and if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know how that turns out because Proverbs 14:12 says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So this was not a good time in Israel's history. The one, you know, sort of hero that they had during the time of the judges was was dead, that was Samson. But he's gone and you know, he certainly was not a man without flaws. So the country's divided, the country's leaderless. The Philistines are encroaching more and more and gaining greater strength, and the nation is weak. And, and at the end of the day, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us why. And that, because, that was because there was really no word from the Lord being heard. That verse says, 1 Samuel 3, 1, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious or rare in those days. There was no open vision. So it was a dire time in the history of Israel. And it was time to bring along a man who could lead the people back to the Lord. And that man 
was to be none other than Samuel. And in order to bear Samuel, God chose a very special lady, Hannah. And she's the object of our study this morning. And Hannah was a woman that, that faced adversity in her life, even within her family. We're going we're gonna to look at that in some detail this morning. But her story, it shows us the value of trusting the Lord and the path through which a person or a family can glorify God. And that path is centered around a prayer that she prays to the Lord. And, and we need to get this down this morning in our life because, listen, just at a baseline level, for the Lord to work in your life, for the Lord to work in my life, for the Lord to work in our church, for the Lord to work in our families, we need to be people of prayer. That's why we emphasize the importance of our prayer nights. The first Sunday night of every month, we come together as a church family to let the Lord know how dependent we are upon him to work in our life and in our church and in our midst. You see, when we don't pray, at the end of the day, it is because we don't think we need God. We don't think we need God. And that's a terrible position to be in. Because if you don't think you need God, God will let you figure it out on your own without his intervention. But the truth is, whether we know it or not, whether we fully understand it or not, we need his intervention all the time especially in the context of our family, especially on behalf of our kids, because as we've learned throughout this entire series, there is an enemy out there actively attacking our family, actively coming after our children. And he's attacking us through this world system that is so subtle and deceitful that sometimes we don't even know that we're being attacked. But what we're going to see this morning is that Hannah understood the attack, and her response was to go to the Lord in prayer, and her response was devotion to the Lord. And that glorified him. And what we're going to see is, as a result of her actions, her family glorified God and became a blessing to all of Israel. And that's exactly what we need out of our families this morning. So we're going to look at the first 20 verses. We're going to re read an extended passage here, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. So read along with me. At the very beginning of this chapter, the Bible says, Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephratite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The, the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah, Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. But as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? For am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. There shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. 
And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the, early, in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah Hannah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her, her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son, called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, we do come to you this morning, and we're, um, we're anticipating you speaking to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you do just that. I pray that you move me aside and that you, your Holy Spirit uh, speaks clearly uh, through the authority and the power that your word holds. And, and Lord, I pray that you use it in our life. And, and as we examine this woman and, and her relationship with you, Lord, uh, there's so much we can glean, and uh, so I pray that, that you bring clarity to that in our individual lives. We're all in different spots, but Lord, you know exactly where we're at, and you know exactly where to meet us this morning, so please do. Lord, I ask that uh, everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it's, it's honoring and glorifying to you, that, the, that this entire service is a sweet savor unto you, and we'll ask it all in Jesus' precious name, amen. So this is obviously the story of Hannah, and it goes on. Like, you know, we're only taking this first portion to where Samuel's born, but you move into chapter 2, you see a a great story of faith in Hannah, a great story of trust. But what what I want you to know this morning is this doesn't have to be a story that is unique to Hannah. Because in her family portrait, what we see is a path that leads to God getting glory and that is a path that any of us can take. As we show it to you this morning, this is a path that we all can get on. Now, sadly, many don't, but it's available to all. And it starts with this, this is our first point. It starts with being able to deal with real troubles. Being able to deal with real troubles. You see, we all face troubles in this life. That's unavoidable. We all face troubles in our family. But as I was mentioning in the introduction, we first must recognize that they are troubles in order to deal with them biblically because unfortunately many Christian families don't make that realization and connection. So they get seduced by the world and sucked into all that it is and all that it has to offer, which is not holiness or or anything that is glorifying to God. So, So first there's that problem, but But obviously, not all troubles we face come from being seduced by the world, right? The the Bible tells us, yea, all that shall live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecutions, 1 Timothy 3.12. So we we face trouble from living godly. We face trouble for all sorts of reasons. Not every trouble is a temptation or a seduction of the world. And sometimes, no matter what the source of the trouble, whether it's a temptation, whether it's a seduction, whether it's from living godly, whether it's just the result of the sin in this world, sometimes we have trouble being able to overcome them and gaining victory over the persecution, the hardship we face in this life. And and whatever the source Sometimes we can't get over them, we can't get past those troubles to be able to see what God is really trying to do in our life and in our family. And so John 16, never becomes a reality in our life. There Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And, and for many families that cheer is non-existent. Understanding that Jesus overcame, uh, not being able to understand what Paul said in, in Romans 8, 37. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. And, you know, if you read up to that verse, there's so many things Paul says that we, we face in this life. Many troubles, many hardships. And yet, if we're in him, we're, we're, we're more than conquerors. And, and Paul states that as fact. And that's absolutely true doctrinally and positionally, but for many, even in here this morning, there's no truth to that verse practically in your life. Your life and your family are sometimes better described by the word defeated than conquering. And that's a shame because it doesn't have to be that way. 
But you do have to be able to recognize and then biblically deal with the real, very real troubles we face in this life. And in this story in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see three big troubles that we face in our families today. This isn't an exhaustive list. This certainly isn't all the troubles we face. But we see three of them here today. And the first one is a divided focus. The first trouble that we face in our families is a divided focus. Look back at verse 1. And let me show this to you. Now there was a certain man of Ramathams of him, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephratite. I should have just skipped that verse. There's a lot of hard words in that verse. And really where we're getting is verse 2. Um, so this guy Elkanah, he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, the name of the other was Penina. Uh, and you, I looked up how to pronounce it. Some people say Penina, some people say Penina. I'm going with Penina. I'm not sure if that's right or not. But, um, but Penina had children. Hannah had no children. So right here at the very beginning of this chapter and in the beginning of this book, we see some dysfunction in this family. And the dysfunction was that Elkanah had two wives. And we're not here, we're not going to do a study on polygamy, but know that multiple mates always makes for a mess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, real, real profound there. But I do know this can also be a little bit confusing, not that anyone, you know, not that, no, I shouldn't say not that anyone, not that most people want to participate in polygamy, but, but you see polygamy throughout the Old Testament. And so some people are like, you know, what, what's, you know, what's that about? And, and, and what's that about is, is something outside of God's plan. From the very beginning. So don't confuse God allowing something with God's blessing of something. God allowed for divorce in the Old Testament. God allows for divorce in the New Testament as well. And yet Malachi 2.16 says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. And putting away, that's, you know, that's, that's just a way of saying divorce. Then the context there is very clear. Malachi 2.15 ends by saying, Let none deal treacherously against the wife of thy youth. For the Lord God of Israel saith, he hateth putting away. And like I said, God's been very clear on his plan for marriage from the very beginning. Back to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we started this series. And God's plan has always been one man, one woman, becoming one flesh. That's it. That's God's plan. And, and just because people have corrupted and are still corrupting God's plan, that doesn't mean the plan has changed. It hasn't. And then also, when you, when you do study it out, in Scripture, what you'll find is that the, those multiple marriages in the Old Testament, they never brought blessing. Never. In fact, most of the time it brought trouble. Genesis 16 with Abraham and Hagar, we looked at that in this study. We talked about that a little bit this morning, is one just good example. So this is clear in, in Scripture. But again, I don't want to focus on the details of polygamy. What I want to show you is the picture. We're painting a family portrait. And the picture of this family with one husband and two wives is one where the husband and the leader has a divided focus. He has two women he has to take care of. And listen, you know, Jennifer is a truly low-maintenance wife. I mean, and I mean that in the best possible way. But I, I can't be a good husband to her alone. I can't imagine having someone else, you know, to try to take care of. There's no way. It's ridiculous. But again, I know for most of us in here, the, the problem isn't two women. At least I sure hope not. But that doesn't mean we don't have a divided focus. You see, many of us are even focused on the Lord and ourselves. We're focused on the church and the world. And we're kind of focused on ministry and entertainment. And we're focused on this and that. And the Bible tells us that we are to be in the world, just not of the world. And of course, not all of the entertainment of the world is bad. Much of it, of course, is, but not all of it. But I'm talking about where our focus lies, where our priorities lie. And at some point, we have to choose where we're going to focus our energy and our time and the direction of our family because I believe the Bible directs us to that end. For example, in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's pretty direct. 
I don't think Jesus cares much for a divided focus. He wants it on him. We see this with Elijah in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Because they wanted to walk down both lines. And they wanted to ride the straddle the fence. The same goes for Paul in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 21 and 22. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of the devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? You see, this is universal throughout the Bible. And it's one of the big problems that we face today, certainly here in Laodicea. Because, you know, we, we, we want to come to church and, and be a part of the church, we just don't want to forsake the things of the world. And so our focus is divided. As we focus on the Lord when it's convenient for us, but then we focus on our flesh and our own desires when we want to do that as well. It's a divided focus. It's not being all in on what God has for us. Not setting him as the king of our heart and living our life according to that. But there's a second problem or a second trouble that we see in our text this morning, and that is disguised fruit. So we have a divided focus. We also see disguised fruit. And I'll explain that to you. Look at verse 3. This man went up out of a city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, and the Lord had shut up her womb. Now this is, this is interesting. This is just a, a very interesting story to me. Because you have a man that has multiple wives, but he's taking his family to worship. Like he's supposed to. He's making his annual trip. And, and this just gets to that divided focus a little bit more. So he's, he's good Laodicean. Right? He's a good Laodicean. And, and like we... Like we do, we understand that we need God to help us in our mess of a life. But he can't just get it all right. He just can't quite get over the hump. Because in verses 4 and 5, when it came to the time of worship and sacrifice, he took some of that, some of that meat, some of the sacrifice, and he, he gave to his wives and his children. But it wasn't equal. He gave more to Hannah. This is another thing you see throughout, like with you know, multiple wives. You see one always favoring one. So he gave more to Hannah. He gave her a worthy or a double portion. And it was out of his love. It was out of his love for her. The Bible says that. He loved her. But it was also because he knew she had a problem. And that problem was that she was barren. She couldn't have children. And, and there's obviously nothing she could do about that. It, it wasn't Elkanah's issue. He had children with Penina. The Bible says it was the Lord that it shut up her womb. And listen, that principle is true for all of us as well. We can, we can do what it takes to make a baby, but that doesn't guarantee anything. It's all up to the Lord. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25 says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needeth anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. It's the Lord that giveth life. Psalm 127, verse 3, Lo, the children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And Hannah had no fruit. The fruit of the womb is his reward, and Hannah had no fruit in her life. She was barren. And that was a mark on a woman at that time. In 1 Samuel 1.10, we read that it was a source of bitterness in her soul. And God's original command, command to man was be fruitful and multiply. And that command was attached to God's blessing. And children are attached to God's blessing. And Hannah was missing out. And she had the heart of Rachel, who in Genesis 30 verse 1 says, When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And that was her heart. And Hannah had that same heart, and she was in a bad spot. But her husband's solution was to give her a worthy portion. And he doesn't understand 
why that's not enough. Look at verse 8. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not, and why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? He said, listen, aren't I good enough to you? Don't I treat you good enough? I gave you a bigger portion than I even gave Benina. Don't I treat you well? Why do you need a son? But do you see what Elkanah is doing here? It's the same thing many of us do as well. He's trying to fix her sorrow with stuff. And instead of pointing her to the true supplier of all things, he's telling her, listen, Hannah, you are blessed. Because look at all the material possessions we have. Look at what I'm able to provide you. Don't I treat you well? Aren't I good to you? And listen, we even give some of that to the Lord, but you don't have to feel bad about the lack of fruit in your life because we are blessed in other ways. Listen, that is a temptation. And that is a trouble for us too because here's the key. It is a focus on the, for us, it is a focus on the physical more than the spiritual. That's the picture. And it's assuming that physical blessings mean that everything are okay. Even if there's a lack of spiritual fruit, in your life and in your family. Listen, that's false fruit. That is disguised fruit because ultimately, it's not what is most important to the Lord. And you can't buy off the Lord. So don't be tempted by this trouble. Focus on the spiritual focus. Our focus in this dispensation, again, when we're looking at the picture, is eternal fruit. Fruit that remains, or as Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. That's where our focus needs to be, on eternal fruit. And you have to be careful, because the temporal in our world today can be a disguise for the eternal. And sometimes we can feel like, man, we, we're doing okay. I mean, we go, we go to church most weeks. We don't, we're, we don't you know, really do anything else with the Lord, but we, we tithe and we, we do that. You have to be careful. The, the temp, focus on the temporal can be a disguise for the eternal. Don't fall into that trap. But there's one more trouble that we see in our text as well, and that is, Hannah had a discouraging foe. So we have a divided focus. We have disguised fruit and a focus on the physical more than the spiritual. And, and then she also was dealing with, with someone that was just a, a pain in her neck. And she had a discouraging foe. And sometimes we have to deal with people, even within our own family, that try to bring us down. And they're a discouragement to us. Look at verse 6. And her adversary, this is very interesting terminology here, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. And therefore she wept and did not eat. And so there's a lot of pronouns in here. So let me give you the, the, her, the adversary is Penina. And, and every year, she was just getting in her craw, just, you know, just being a discouragement to her. And saying, listen, you, you don't have any children. You're not a good wife to him. You can't even give him children. I am. I did. Why aren't you? And Penina is her adversary. So Hannah's not only barren, but now she has to deal with this adversary. And and. Again, I, I said that's a very interesting word because it, her adversary was certainly Penina, but it goes way deeper than that. Don't miss the picture. Don't miss the very words of Scripture. An adversary is an important word because 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober, be vigilant. Because what? Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You see, we all, if you're a Christian, we all too have an adversary. 
And that adversary is the devil. And that adversary sometimes uses other people in our life to do his dirty work, to be a discouragement to us. And Hannah's adversary was pointing out what she did not have and what God had not supplied for her. Listen, our adversary always knows where to strike us. And many times, he attacks very real life issues that, if truth be told, we even think are unfair. Like, it doesn't make sense. I think it's unfair. And he knows how to point out all of our deficiencies. Have you ever had anyone in your life like that? You know, Penina wanted to promote herself by pushing down Hannah. And she just kept reminding Hannah of the lack in her life and how she was a better wife because she had given him children. And, and, and listen, she was also doing this during a time of worship, during the feast, when Hannah was trying to get close to the Lord. Don't miss that timing. Some people are just like that. And they know where to hit you and they know when to hit you. But listen, they are just being used by our one true adversary Because according to Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what do we wrestle against? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so our true adversary is using that person to push you down and they're trying to promote themselves. So, So they point out everything that's wrong with you and are somehow blind to their own shortcomings. Listen, this is a very real struggle. But it does not have to defeat you. That's the key. The question just becomes, how are you going to handle it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to get mad and fight back? Or are you going to deal with this trouble biblically like Hannah did? Because if you don't deal with the very real troubles that you face in this life, if you don't deal with them in a biblical fashion, then you fall off the path. And you won't give God glory with your life, and your family won't give God glory with its life, likely. So instead, we need to follow Hannah's portrait, because she shows us how to deal with these troubles biblically. And that brings us to our next step on this path of glorifying the Lord. And that is depend on real truth. Depend on real truth. Because, because what does Hannah do? She prays. She didn't fight back. She took her sorrow and her pain to the Lord. And she just decided to depend on him and what he says. And ultimately, that is absolutely what we have to do, what we must do if we want to give God the glory with our life. And so watch this play out. Look look at verses 9 through 11. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, and now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but wilt thou give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. So she gets serious about seeking the Lord in her situation through her troubles. She let those troubles drive her to Jesus instead of allowing her pride to take care of things on her own. Listen, we already know that we have an adversary, right, from 1 Peter 5.8. But but do you know what the verses immediately preceding 1 Peter 5.8 say? Well, let's look at them, starting in verse 5. Peter says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Those are great verses leading up to the the verse that tells us we have an adversary that's a roaring lion trying to devour us. Knowing that we can, if we come to him humbly, we can cast our care upon him. He cares for us. And that's how you gain victory over the troubles. You humble yourself. You go to the Lord and you let him take care of you. You depend on him and what he says. The very source of truth. 
And look at Hannah's prayer, because there's a lot in here. But I just want to show you a couple things. She makes a vow to the Lord, and please do not miss the picture here. Hannah requests a supernatural birth. Hannah requests a supernatural birth because she is not just asking for a baby. She's not even asking for a baby boy. Look at what she asked for. She asked for a man-child. And this is a key phrase in Scripture. And this is a phrase that, you know, the, a, 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 critical te- a person of a, that would take a critical text na- nature viewpoint would say, it's, you know, this is, just, this is just kind of weird wording, weird language, right? Why, why didn't she just say boy or son, that sort of thing? But let me tell you why. Because if you don't have a King James Bible, you will miss this. And you will miss the picture that God is trying to paint because modern translations don't use the phrase man-child. None of them do. Most of them, including the NIV and the ESV, use the word son. Most of them say that she wanted to ask for a son. The New King James says a male child. So with other versions, what you miss is the ability to compare Scripture with Scripture and find out that what Hannah is asking for is an incredible picture or type of Christ. A deliverer for the nation of Israel. You can see that in verses like Isaiah 66 verse 7. And we don't have time to go through all of these, but, but, but let me do take you to Revelation chapter 12. And look at verse 5. Revelation 12, 5 says she, and that she there is speaking of Israel. And that she brought forth a what? A man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And you get further clarification of who the she is, because there's a couple she's in Revelation chapter 12. But you get further clarification of who the she is down in verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. But again, you're going to miss all this in modern translations. And if you've been around here very long at all, you know that, that we take an unapologetic stand on the King James Bible. But we also don't hold that over people. We don't really make that big of an issue of it, I don't think. But we know what we know. We teach what we know, and we let the chips fall where they may. But I want to take opportunities like this to show you some of the reasons why we take the stand that we take. Because when it comes up, especially when it comes up naturally in the text like this one, I would be negligent not to point this out to you. Because you miss something beautiful. Also, by the way, I didn't even mention it there, but in 1 Peter 5.8, um, uh, that term adversary, if you look at, at, at the modern translations in 1 Samuel chapter 1, they, they don't call Penina her adversary, they call her her rival. And yeah, of course she was a rival. But you miss the beauty, the deeper picture that God is painting. You miss all of that. Because think, think for a second about this prayer. Think about this request of Hannah's. Because as she is praying, she's not only thinking about her family being a mess. She's thinking about the whole nation of Israel being a mess. Remember, this is the time of Judges. I told you about, I led into this with the introduction on the Judges and how it was a time of, of spiritual degeneracy, all of that. I did that on purpose. Because, because That was the condition, and Hannah knew the spiritual condition of Israel, and therefore she asked the Lord to give her a man-child that would deliver her people. It gets back to the picture, and by the way, Samuel turns out to be just that. He's one of the major types of Christ in the Bible. So Hannah just wasn't being selfish as she was asking God to bless her. Hannah desired to be blessed so that all of Israel could be blessed. She didn't have a child to give, but she wanted to give for God's glory. Listen, this is God's heart. Acts 20, 35 says, I have showed you all things, how the so laboring you ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And her dedication was to give this child fully to the Lord and fully to the Lord's work. Talk about a righteous request. She was going to give him over to the Lord. But by the way, that is exactly what we should do for our kids. And that should be our desire for our children, that they would serve the Lord with all of their life, that they would not grow up to live lives all about themselves. How awesome would it be for your child to be the next you know, hero missionary, the next Apostle Paul? That's what Hannah desired. And she confirms this desire by declaring a Nazarite vow over her son. That's what she was saying when she said no razor would come upon his head, right? They wouldn't cut his hair. And it's interesting because you can see the Nazarite vow. You can trace the Nazarite vow back to the book of Numbers. But you can see it in practice most fully in three men. You see it most fully in, in, in Samuel here, in Samson, and in John the Baptist. And all three of those men were used by God in one way or another to deliver and restore the nation of Israel for the glory of Christ. They all played very, very important roles in Israel's history. Even a man like Samson, as flawed as he was, delivered Israel in a very important way. So listen, she didn't just want any baby. She wanted a man-child. And you've got you've to get that. And she was depending on the Lord for it with full-on belief and faith. You see, Hannah shows us the way, this path to glorifying Christ. And she doesn't even let Eli get in the way. And Eli was the priest, although, you know, not a good one. It was, it was, it was a bad time. He wasn't close enough to the Lord to see what was going on. But Hannah already had an adversary in her physical family. Now, now she begins to deal with one in her spiritual family. Look at verse 12, and it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken, and Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. And Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And we're not going to stay long in this section, but isn't it amazing how even God's people can assume the worst of us sometimes? We just make us, and we're all, listen, we're all guilty of this, myself included. And we, we see something or we hear something, and our natural response is just to assume the worst. We just assume the worst in that person. We think they have bad motives. Why? Why do we do that? That's that's not a biblical thing. In fact, it's anti-biblical. We shouldn't assume the worst, especially in children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. Eli saw her praying and he assumed she was drunk. But she handles it the same way she handled it with Penina. She didn't get mad. She didn't fight back. She let her faith lead her to victory. And that brings us to the last step in the path to glorifying the Lord. And that is determined to just walk in real trust. Just trust him. And after you've been with the Lord and you've already decided to depend on him and his word, then don't go back. Move forward content with whatever happens, with whatever God does. And that's exactly what we see with Hannah. So we have Eli, this, you know, ungodly priest. He can't even recognize what's going on here. But he ends and says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And then look at Hannah in in verse 18. And then she said, let that handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat. And her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of to Ramah and Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass that the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying because I have asked him of the Lord. You see faith ultimately gets the victory because faith is what glorifies God. And what we see with Hannah is, is she gives it all to the Lord and now she's just, she's just going to trust him. And now she's content and listen, she, she gets there before she gets pregnant. 
In verse 18, it says that she was no more sad. She, she took the you know, corrupt priest's word for it. And she was, it says she was no more sad in verse 18. And then in verse 19, Elkanah knew his wife, and, and then she conceived. So please don't miss the order of events here, because in Hannah's eyes, her prayers were answered in verse 18, because she trusted the Lord. She just put it in his hands. And finally, this burden that she was carrying, she just gave it to him. And, and, and that was a relief to her. And even if he didn't give her a man-child, she was going to be okay because she was trusting whatever the outcome. And listen, this type of real trust is so key for us because it's easy to trust when things are going our way. But it's another thing to trust when things aren't going our way. And we don't know when they will. She was no more sad before she got pregnant. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it was after she gave everything over to the Lord. It was after she found contentment that the Lord gave her a son. That the Lord gave her a man-child. It was after she found contentment in him. And I think we would find that true in our lives as well. I think so many times, God is just waiting on us to finally trust him. To gain contentment in him and not in our circumstances. To be able to honestly say with Paul in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That is a man or a woman that God can get glory from. That's a family that God can get glory from. One that is no longer worried or no longer focused on what you are lacking, not focused on what you're missing, but one that understands contentment, one that lives by Matthew 6.33 and understands that principle of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and then he's, he's going to take care of his own. God knows how to do that. God knows how to provide for his children. He knows exactly what we need and he knows exactly what we don't need. Our job is to trust him. With a real trust, an honest trust. And I know that's easier said than done sometimes. But that is a necessary step in bringing God glory with our lives. And we should want that for, for us personally. We should want that for this church. We should want that for our families. And here's the great thing about this story. This was a family with issues. Just like yours and just like mine. And their issues were maybe different, but they were no more or less real than the issues that we have. And they weren't perfect. They fought. They got depressed. But here's what happened. One person in the family decided to take a different path. Just one. Just one. And the entire, because of this one person deciding to take a different path, the entire trajectory of the nation of Israel changed. And God used that man-child, Samuel, in, a, in an incredible way. And he, he, he transitioned them into being led by kings, and then God used Samuel to prepare a man by the name of David, who ended up being the second king. They, they, they kind of messed it up in the first one. But the second king of Israel in the time of David, and then David's son Solomon, was literally, their reign was the pinnacle for the nation of Israel. They were, they were literally on top of the world. But it wouldn't have happened without Hannah. One person is all it took. One person stepped out and said, you know what? I'm going to look at my problems through the lens of God's word. And I'm going to live my life for better or worse, I'm going to live my life according to what it says. I'm going to seek him out, and I'm going to trust him. And he's going to do what he's going to do, and whatever it is, it's good and it's right, because it's according to his will, and I'm going to believe that with my entire being. And I'm going to ask him to be glorified in me, I'm going to ask him to be glorified in my family and in my children, and, 
and, and, and ask him to use them, use my children for his glory. I'm going to pray to that end. I'm going to believe 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. that says this is the confidence that we have in him. And if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. And when you come to that place, a place where God alone is enough, even in the midst of the adversary fighting and everything going on, and you're content with whatever he does, so just wait and see what happens in your life. And just wait and see what happens in your family's life. God knows what he's doing. And his way is always right. So choose that path this morning. He's worth depending on. He's worth trusting. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And Lord, as we, as we come to you now, I, I'm just thankful for, I'm thankful for your word and I'm thankful for all that it is and and, and all that it shows us, and, and, um, and, and Lord, it's just, it's so deep, and it's so beautiful, and it covers everything, and, and Lord, it, it shows us how to, how to handle the troubles that we face in this life, and so thank you for, for Hannah, I, 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 I'm thankful for her faith, for her faith in you, for, for her devotion to you, and her desire to be a blessing to her, her entire country. And there's so much that we can learn from that in our family. And, and just such, just the vision that she had for her children. And, and Lord, I, I'm so lacking of that in my life. And, but Lord, I desire it. And I want my kids to just far surpass my faith. And Lord, I pray that, I pray that you do it. And, and Lord, I, I pray that you do that for all of us. And, and for this entire church that you continue to deepen us as a, as a family unit, both physically and spiritually, Lord, that we can glorify you more. It's, your, it's certainly your model and how you've set up this world to work. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you do it here. If, if you don't work anywhere else, and we know you're working all, all throughout the world. But, Lord, if nobody else wants to serve you, Lord, we do. And so work through us to, to be a blessing to this world. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.